Hello, my podcast family, and welcome back to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we look at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook at Caregiving is a Ministry, all one word. We're on part two of the book of Romans. I'll be reading from the New America, no, I'll be reading from the New International Version today, starting out with chapter six, verses 10 through 14. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ or to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is juicy, right? Remember, Paul is writing to this body of believers because they are confused about righteousness and um, the role that it plays. They don't understand their righteousness in Christ through their faith in Christ. And so they've been been trying to associate the law with righteousness and not Jesus. And Paul is repudiating this doctrine that has um, spread amongst this um, group of believers. And he wants them to stop this willful sinning that they're doing. These scriptures continue to point to these points, you know, the main theme of his letter, because he wants them to have the better understanding of what Christ did for them 
on the cross, explaining that their what their state was prior, and now what they have in Christ, that they're no longer or they should no longer be willfully sinning, that they're now different. Remember, they're a new creature, which he talked to in the church in Corinth. But the same type of theme, they're now different, and their lives should reflect reflect this change that they now have as being, you know, united with Christ. Paul then gives him them a real world testimony of his own. That's the, you know, what I want, what I want to do, I don't do, but what I don't want to do, I do. Letting them know that he too, you know, suffers and sin just like they do. And he has to subdue the flesh just like they do. And so what he's asking them to do is nothing short of what he has to ask of himself every day. Subduing the flesh is hard. It's doing, it's hard, but through Christ, we can do it. And then he goes right into, and there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't that good news that we're no longer condemned by the law, but through our faith in Christ, we, we now fall under grace, which he extends generously and often, which we both need. Then Paul seems to go off on a tangent. And then he's, you know, he goes off on this tangent of speaking about the Jewish community. Those Jews who have not yet um, accepted Christ as the Messiah, you know, as the Christ, the anointed one. (coughs) Excuse me. And I want to stress here that during this time period, although the Gentiles were now being added to the body of believers, remember, initially it was strictly amongst the Jewish people who were the body of Christ. Remember, Christ was, or Jesus was born into the Jewish community. God called Abraham out and established this community as his own. That's the Jewish people. Jesus comes through as was prophesied in the Old Testament, right? And and so Jesus is Jewish. I remember having a um, discipling session with a, a young girl that I mentored and she was like, Jesus was a Jew. And I was like, uh, I need you to change that attitude and the tone that you said that. But yes, Jesus was Jewish. So when he um, died on the cross and rose again as his ascension into heaven and his disciples who were Jewish went out, they were preaching the good news of Christ to the Jewish population and the people who were being converted, so to speak, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they baptized them were Jewish people. They were Jewish people. And this point in time, both Judaism and the Roman Empire, they really didn't know what to think of this new cult um, of people who followed this man called Jesus. And most of them thought that it would be a fad that would die out or play itself out over time. And so there wasn't the distinction between, okay, either you're Jew or you're Christian. It was, you're Jewish, oh, you're one of those people who follow that Christ guy. So that makes you a Christian because you're following Christ. But it wasn't, it's, it, it was so new and still small, even though growing rapidly, that it wasn't this separate religion that we have now off of Judaism. It, it was still very much tied. And so you, 
yeah tied together and so therefore you see the back and forth in Paul's letters about circumcision no circumcision with this one he's like we're not under the law we're under grace because they keep trying to put it back you know with Judaism it came out of Judaism but it's getting ready to or it's growing to be more than that and so but Paul is stressing that he wants those Jewish people his fellow Jews to come to know Christ as their savior and so that's what he tells him Paul is Jewish and so he has that heart also for his Jewish brother and sisters even though he knows that his mission is to the Gentiles we learned that in Acts God told him that he wanted him to spread the good news to the Gentiles and Paul does that but he still has a heart for his own community to come to know Christ and for them to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, period. And from a shepherding aspect, um, we see that this letter, you know, Paul does that bit of self-identification with the, his com- with this community, which we've not seen in the other letters, giving them kind of like a first-time glance into, um, well, not a first-time glance, because he states that I think it's in... Um, I don't remember which letter it is where he says, you know, the thorn is in his flesh. He asked the Lord to, to remove it from them. So he, he does give a little bit of an insight, but it's rare. And so with this congregation, he's also letting them know, yeah, I struggle with stuff too, but I'm able to subdue it through the spirit and therefore you're able to do it. It makes it a more personal touch, don't you think? And I think the reason why he does that is so that they understand that what they're going through, he, he identifies with. And, and we've discussed this before as leaders. You don't ask people who you're shepherding, you're leading, you're managing to do something that you aren't willing to do or that you haven't gone through. And so he's telling them that, yeah, I go through this too. And through Christ Jesus, you can overcome it that you know now that we're children of God and the spirit resides in in us the spirit is what gives us strength to walk in righteousness you know which is living in in right behavior I think it's important for any leadership position or managerial position that you find yourself in for you not to think so high about yourself that you can't identify with the people whom you are leading or responsible for or in this aspect caring for It doesn't mean that you need to divulge all of your secrets (laughs) to everyone. But sometimes allowing those around you to just see that you're human too can be a good thing. Because it can foster a sense of community, a stronger sense of community. And it can help others to aspire to do better. Because if they know that their leader, their shepherd struggles at times, yet continues to push forward and trust God and overcome then that gives them the impetus to do the same thing, mimicking your behavior. None of us are perfect, right? None of us. We all have something or some things that we are dealing with. But thanks be to God for not condemning us, but for loving us and extending his grace to us to surrender to his will. And and in surrendering to his will, we can walk in self-control. As a caregiver, there was a point in time where I wanted to have all the answers. 
I just like I need to know what's going on. Then I wanted everyone to just think that I had all the answers because I realized I couldn't have all the answers. And then finally, I got to the point where it was like, I'm just going to surrender to the Lord and trust him and allow him to bring the solutions, answers as I needed. But I'd be quick if there was something that I need and I couldn't quite, you know, figure it out. It wasn't something that was natural to me that the answer came immediately. I'd have to go to God and that's what he wants. Where is it, um, where, where I think it's necessary for us as caregivers to share and confide in someone, you know, to let them kind of peek behind the curtain, so to speak, to not think you have all the answers and everything is just hunky-dory. That person does not, should not, and should is a word I, I very seldom use, but should not be the person that you're caring for, <laughs> I'm not asking you to keep them in the dark or anything, but, you know, if you're sharing your frustrations about caregiving, it shouldn't be to the one who you're caring for, right? Because it's going to make them feel guilty. Hopefully, they haven't done anything intentionally that placed them in the state of needing to be cared for, right? So that's assumption that we're just making. This is something, what they have, the disease is something um, or accident that has, you know, rendered them unable to move or whatever they can't do for a certain period of time it's beyond their control so making them feel guilty about something that they have no control over is cruel and it's pointless and it's not godly but you need someone to confide in to let them know what's you know going on I think these scriptures today help us see that um, we need to keep the main focus the main focus and so whereas Paul stated that he has a desire for his fellow Jewish um community to come to know Christ and every time he went in a city he would always go to the synagogue first to preach the good news and then he'd go to the Gentiles he understood what his calling was the main focus for Paul really was for the whole world anyone to come to know Jesus as the fulfillment of the law you know and once accepting Jesus as Messiah then to walk in a way that brings him honor and glory that was his main focus and he did that everywhere when he was in prison when he was outside of prison for us as caregivers our main focus is about caring for our loved one and I know sometimes that can be hard to hear because you have dreams and aspirations and things that you want to do I did too and I'm walking in them I have not not done anything that I've wanted to do God allowed all that to happen and care for his daughter some things are starting to come into fruition now that you know now I'm in seminary and things like that but God will if you delight yourself in him he will give you the desires of your heart so this season of caregiving the main focus has to be caring for your loved one to the best of your ability and then God will open the door for you to find moments of rest and you too will have a life but first you must surrender this season to him let's pray Lord we thank you for this day we thank you for your love which is unconditional and we thank you for grace (sighs) thank you for way back in the beginning of time that you saw that we would sin that we would need you and that you orchestrated things in such a way that we don't fully understand 
but we know that you did it to bring us to this point right now where we just say we love you and we trust you. Thank you for being our God and seeing our needs and for meeting our needs. Thank you for being with us in the struggle, for not condemning us as we struggle, but helping us through it. I ask that you touch each and every heart today, if they're heavy for whatever reason. Let them remember but that they have hope in you. That in this world we will have trials and tribulations, but our hope is the fact that you've overcome the world. And since we are in you, so have we. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for being our God. Bless each and every person who's listening today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, my dear caregiving family, go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.